Welcome to the Drunk Money Podcast. Sit back, have a few drinks with us, and enjoy this new episode. There we go. Yeah, so I figured, you know, um, I think this first episode will really kind of lay the groundwork here for what we want to talk about as far as, you know, when we get into, you know, economic events and we get into blockchain and crypto and kind of shoot the shit about a lot of other stuff. I think um, this episode is going to be, you know, kind of lay the groundwork for everything. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what's uh, you want to go over what we're going to talk about? Yes, absolutely. So we got the history of money. Since the Greeks, actually the Egyptians, am I right, Greg? Egyptians. Even really, they, honestly, we're going to look at it from the beginning of human civilization as we know it. Civilization. You know. So the Greeks, or the, the ancient Egyptians. Yeah, to, exactly. To Back the year to 2020, and as Buzz Lightyear says... And beyond to infinity and beyond. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I figured this is kind of kind of lay the groundwork, especially, you know, for everything we're going to talk about. But also people, you know, most people honestly don't even understand what money is. And so I think this will be, you know, pretty valuable. It's going to be almost just as much a history lesson as it is, you know, kind of a, a talk podcast talk show. So, um, yeah, I guess what we can kind of start with, I guess, is kind of a good good place to start is that, um, you know, fiat, which is, you know, the currency that we use now, the paper money, the dollar, the yen, those are all fiat currencies. Now, Greg, you have to remember the difference between money and currency. Exactly. So that's what we're going to talk about. So, you know, the difference between money and currency, and we'll get into that throughout this. But I think that one thing to definitely understand is that, you know, even both fiat and precious metals, um, they're used as representative tokens of the credit um, that people, institutions, and, you know, states all accumulate. So the value of the money, not only in precious metals and fiats, not in the actual tokens themselves, um, you know, as a victim of like hyperinflation in Venezuela, those people would understand that the value is not necessarily in the dollar itself. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's in the integrity of the, the credit that it facilitates. So it's in the integrity of the trust, I guess, is a better word of the transaction. So the, the, to the extent of which we trust, um, that transaction to the extent in which we trust the dollar, trust gold, trust silver, that's where the value is. It's not really in the dollar itself or in gold itself. And that goes back to, you know, barter you know even before the ancient egyptians you know we had yeah so let's let's kind of start there um you know as far back as we know and have evidence which is about five thousand years ago um you know all we did is barter and so you want to kind of go over what barter is well yeah hey greg i got i got i got a two liter of sprite right here there we go and I'm I, and, I, and I'm looking for Some, a pound of a pound of salt. Okay. Can can you can you? Uh, I will give you my bottle of Sprite for the pound of salt. Will you? Can you do that? Um, I don't have any salt, but I got some Bacardi, so maybe I could give you about half this bottle of Bacardi for that bottle of Sprite. 
so this is the first this is the first thing that comes in the complications of barter and trade right like me wanting something i i have what i want to give but you don't have what i want exactly so finding that exactly it's an exchange of resources or services for mutual value um and that exactly and like you said you know that date backs to the beginning of civilization there was really no money at the time and, and barter still goes on today but barter was all that went on back then you know so yeah i mean you know the, the issue with barter too um you know it's when it comes to barter people had to you know dispute the terms of exchange so how much salt do i give you for your bottle of coke or bottle of sprite etc and so it was kind of inefficient you not only had to track down someone who offered what you desired but you also had to offer that person what they desired right 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 just like you know what i have a bottle of sprite you don't have my salt but you have a bottle of bacardi which i i mean Honestly, if I was a smart person, I would take that because that's, you know, a good mixed drink. Yeah, so that that was (laughs) that was the inefficiency of barter, you know, at the time. And then, you know, um, you know, that was about 5000 years ago. And then when you get to, you know, about 2500 years ago is the first universal token of value that we knew of. And that was really the world's first coins back in like sixth century B.C., um, I believe the first place that, you know, the first universal token of value or coins was from, uh, what's it called? The Lydian kingdom of Ionia, which I believe is modern day Turkey. And so those were exactly. made of what silver and gold mixture, right? It was called like electrum. 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 Yeah. That's what it was. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, that was really the first universal tokens of value that you took you from bartering with people to be able to actually have a token of value where you could, you know, exchange in units, right? Yeah, unit for unit. I instead now, you know, I have the sprite, or I have I have tokens to buy the Bacardi or the salt. But now, you know, I can buy my Bacardi, and I'll trade you still a little bit of my my sprite for, um, the salt. So that way, I can have both. But it's still a medium of value. The Electrum coin of Lydia. Exactly. So it, it solved the efficiency of barter and kind of created a universal medium of exchange. Exactly. And the, and the, and the first, you know, <clears throat> established um, nation that used this was Greek or Greece. Yeah, they, they, they were the first nation to really um, make it more efficient. But Ionia was the, you know, modern day Turkey was the first you know, nation to actually just make coins to use and trade. But yeah, I think right, Greece was definitely the first spearhead. efficient nation in doing this. But one thing that's also interesting that you think about is, you know, back when in modern day Turkey, when these universal tokens were created, Electrum, um, it, it really established the first accounting system. So you could trans, like we had talked about, translating value of goods into units. Um, and, you know, What's nice about this is, you know, it's a lot easier for people because, you know, metal was a little bit more durable and a little bit easier to carry around than, you know, a 200 pound sack of salt. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you had kind of mentioned Greece. So let's kind of move into, you know, there, there were there's we're skipping some periods, but we're going to kind of go over the most important, you know, 
progression of money throughout you know human history so when you get to greece you know they were uh, i believe they were for single value silver coin is what they used. so it was one silver coin was their unit of yeah. uh, exchange the uh drachma was that is that what it was called the drachma Doc- drachma okay d-r-a-c-h-m-a i think yeah and then i believe rome um which kind of developed around the same they kind of uh, well, well you know Greece. so rome was after greece yeah but not long and after. and well you know greece had a stronghold for a little bit and you know and that's what you know them having that silver coin you know used as money mm-hmm. a lot but we get you know we got to talk about the downfall of it you know what what transpired in greece that led to the roman you know, stronghold throughout Europe. Okay. You know, so, so Greek, why, why did Greek, the, the, you know, the empire of Greek, why the Parthenon, why is that there? You know, they had great public services, right. That was financed by the government. And eventually they, they would debase their currency. They got into a war, right. I think with the, um, I don't know, what country country a country west of them yes yeah, so they war. had to finance they had to finance the war Correct. they started debasing the currency with bronze and that's what led to you know the fall of greece yeah and, and let's explain what debasing currency means and it, greece was one of the first nations to really start this and it became kind of a progressive thing throughout history to do this but let's kind of go over what debasing the currency was so um correct me if i'm wrong basically what the greeks did um is they would take their their silver coins they would melt them down and then mix in bronze with them so they could make even more coins so basically ex- expanding the money supply almost artificially so you know you have these silver coins where you have more silver coins but you know they're not full silver so they're not worth as much value but they still express the same value exactly and that's what that and that's what led to the downfall of greece was and the rise of the roman empire correct in the roman empire they used um three different um values value metrics so they had coins of gold silver and bronze separately yeah, um, and I believe China yeah. just had bronze coin. Um, but these were really the signs of the first monetary societies throughout civilization. And what I found interesting, you know, over the past few years, just studying the history of money, is that, you know, simultaneously with Greek and Rome specifically, simultaneously alongside this monetary innovation, you also had, you know, social structures um, and social mobility that kind of innovated. So if you're looking at like 24, right, the rise, the right. So if we look at it in today's standards, you know, China being able to spend all that money and grow the middle class. Correct. Exactly. And, And I'll give you an example of what, you know, how one of Greece's social structures kind of rose out of this monetary innovation is you're looking at about 2,400 years ago, I believe in Greece, um, you know, they used to do sharecropping. Um, and so I'm sure everyone who went to school understands what sharecropping is basically a farmer, um, you know, let, or basically a landowner lets a farmer come in and do all the farming in exchange for some of the crop. Um, and so the landowner gets fed, the farmer gets fed, everybody's happy. Um, but, you know, with these new monetary innovations and with the invention of essentially money, um, basically sharecropping changed to rent contracts. 
Um, so now farmers are getting paid money to lease the land or paying, excuse me, farmers are paying no, money yeah, no, to lease, lease the land. So the landowners yeah. are not getting paid in food anymore. They're getting paid in coin, right? Okay. So instead of earning food, you know, they're earning coin. And this is kind of where the land owning elite emerged in early human history. Right. And that was um, what, 600 BC. Um, yeah, like 2400 years ago. Yeah. So right around that time. Um, and this is this is one of the things that actually really contributed to, you know, Greece becoming a, a very affluent empire. No. Exactly. Yeah. Because and now and basically just, and just like the, and just like all wealthy empire right because before if you look prior to this you know really power was passed down through family um and yes you know even later on in history it's still in some nations it was still that way but now you really have created hierarchies and power that are determined by market prices and therefore by your wealth rather than just your family so now you can have people who were poor before can become wealthy and elite by climbing the ladder of money Right, going for the coinage. Going for the coinage. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of Greece. Um, but, you know, when you get into Rome, it becomes pretty interesting. So they are, Rome is one of the first nations to base their finances on credit. So this is where credit kind of emerged. So now instead of coin, you know, people got the bright idea, began to loan out money to other Romans, invest in Romans bonds, in Rome's bond market, basically investing in the future, you know, prosperity of Rome. And so this was a very different shift in almost essentially monetary policy, where now instead of just, you know, operating through coinage, you're now operating through credit. And this really helped. And, and, and Greg, Greg, and I want to make a point. What number system did they use um yeah so back then um they used roman roman numerals. roman numerals yeah and we'll definitely yeah. get to that because it was um not until a thousand over a thousand years later till you get to italy where um some man named fibonacci hey, hey let's not hey, we'll, we'll go back we'll yeah go we'll, back. we'll come back to that but yeah so as i was saying you know rome really was one of the first nations to establish credit um for anyone that doesn't know what credit is it's you know Think of your credit card. It's basically debt. So they were one of the first debt. The people bases. that don't understand credit and have a credit card. Yeah, you shouldn't. You should not own a credit go card if you don't understand what credit is. Yeah, let's be honest. get out of here. Um, but yeah, so I mean, Roman became Rome became one of the most powerful and affluent civilizations in the world, and the, basically their utilization of credit was the main reason for that. Um, it helped them finance just about every part of their empire. Um, and this lasted for centuries, right? Because without that credit, you know, their innovation would have stalled. Nearly millennia. Nearly, yeah. Yeah, a millennium. Yeah, and and the problem was is you know when you have a system of credit, it's based on faith, and so when that faith trust, is gone, we got back to it. What we got back to got it. back to what trust, trust exactly, faith and trust. So you know when that faith is lost, and you see the same thing in modern day markets, you know credit credit collapses, and that causes the collapse of empires. So you know what happened is realistically we won't go through all roman's history it's we could we could but, do but hours it, but it comes it comes down to the it comes down to the basic fact of credit 
and the collateral that's behind that credit. Exactly. And so when when you when when there are defaults on a loan, we have deflation, and the currency supply shrinks. is it shrinks. Exactly. And that's exactly what happened with Rome. Exactly. And when that faith is lost, um, you know, people aren't loaning out money anymore. They're not buying <clears throat> government bonds because that faith in the future prosperity is, you know, either temporarily or permanently lost. And so, you know, after the collapse, you know, people became frugal and guarded their coin rather than spending. Um, and then for, you know, over multiple centuries, damn near a thousand years, you know, really the world reverted back to barter for hundreds of years yeah and it caused the retreat of money so you had a a real progression of money for thousands of years and then you know pretty much not too long after the roman empire collapsed you had kind of a reverting back to the beginning history of this so people went back to order when when people lose trust in something exactly it's hard for trust to be you know Given back. Right. And so this was the beginning or of the, the, what do they call it? The dark ages of Europe, where you kind of, it was literally a dark age and it lasted a long time. I mean, time. these are the knights in shining armor. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So I thought, I found that very interesting how you have such a progression throughout early human history and it, it looks so promising. And then not too long after the Roman civilization collapsed, because Rome was the helm of the world. They're the most prosperous, you know, kingdom and nation in the world. And then, you know, when that system lost faith, most of the world reverted back to, you know, what they knew, which was barter. And coinage really wasn't even super popular after the world kind of reverted back. It was mostly barter. Right? You have anything to add to that? No, it was it was mostly barter and for you know, hundreds of years. Yeah. Up till about, up till about 1200 AD. Yeah. So it was damn near a thousand, thousand years later. It was multiple hundred years. It was about, it was about 800 years later. I think is uh, 400 AD is when, you know, life of a better term shit hit the fan. Yeah. And we went back to barter and trade Sprite for salt. Right. And, and this was, um, you know, when things started to, you know, revert back and prosperity started to come back into the world, into these nations, you had massive money and liquidity reemerging in Europe. And this was kind of the beginning of the aristocratic age, I guess is what you call it. So, you know, think of the time where people spent money on spices, silk, music, the arts, the education. And so there wasn't well, as know, much you... focus on, you know, financing as much war. So... It was more, you know, the, the interest in a lot of these nations were, you know, our education, theater, and that's kind of that age and that and that leads and it leads on to picasso picardo (laughs) picardo picasso you're talking about the artist yeah fibonacci (laughs) exactly his first name i forgot his name something 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 picardo that was a good Hey, um, I got buddy. I got I got a buddy's name Pablo, and I got buddy's name Ricardo. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no systems <laughs> of credit still didn't reemerge during this time. It was more just massive money and liquidity. Coinage kind of came back, but you know, at this time, I think the power of money still fell short of its potential. I think it wasn't really until yeah. centuries later where 
now you have Italy, and this is where, you know, shit gets really interesting. Um, so, you know, Italy, this was kind of the, the Renaissance era, right? Um, and so, you know, this is really the focal point for the reemergence of, you know, money, prosperity. This is where lending, investment, and currency exchange kind of came back onto the, you know, world market. Right. Right. And, and it all started with my boy, Picardo. <laughs> Picardo. Yeah. There you go. Hey, he, what, he studied, studied in, in, um, I forgot what country it was, but he, he found that the Arabic number system was much superior over. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. You're thinking it was Fibonacci. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's my boy, Picardo, bro. Oh, that was his first name? nickname is Fibonacci. That's his oh, name. I don't know. I don't know. Most I find it interesting too because I did not know this about Fibonacci until I kind of started studying this stuff. You know, everyone thinks Fibonacci sequence, but realistically, there's a strong argument that what he found, and I'll let you talk about it. What we're about to talk about is his most important contribution to the world, even more than Fibonacci sequence. It's arguable. Well, yeah, it's and it's him figuring out. See, his his name is Leonardo Pisano. All right, so I was. Uh, Why is, is this is Leonardo Pisano Fibonacci? That's his last name, right? That's his name. That's his name, buddy. Right, fair enough. But re- before we talk about him, talk about what was being used beforehand still in like Italy, and this is still way after the Roman Empire. Talk about the number system they were using to count their money and why it was so inefficient. Let's talk about it. Well, it was, it was, it was still in the Roman numerals. Exactly. So they were yeah, using Roman numerals to count their money. And, and still, at this time, you had multiple currencies at this point from multiple different countries. Um, and so converting and calculating exchange rates between those currencies using the numerals, Roman numeral system was extremely inefficient. But go ahead and talk about Fibonacci and what he did. Well, no. So it all started, you know, a lot of people these days go to university, right? And he that's what he did. He went to university and he figured out that the Arabic number system yep. was superior over the over the Roman numerals. And isn't the Arabic number systems really based is like the number system we used originated from the Arabic numeral system, right? It's, well, that's what we use now. Yeah. Okay. It, it includes a zero, right? Okay. It include it includes fractions of of numbers, right? You know what? What can you what can you do with a Roman numeral? You, can you cut it in half and say, "Hey, one point five right here"? Right, right. No, <laughs> right. No, but so, so he he brought that back from his studies, and, and and it was all spearheaded in in Italy. And and one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that so when this was when this started taking place, right? We had at first. The Jewish population mm-hmm. was the only pe- were the only people that could actually lend money and ask for a return on the, on their money, right? The Christians couldn't do it. Yeah, usury. It was a they could. It was a sin to them. It was a sin, and they couldn't do it. So and so the Jewish population. You know, they would live in ghettos, but they would still have the Christian people come over. And borrow money from them, mm-hmm. and they would expect, you know, and they would ask for a return. 
weren't expecting yeah, it. The Christians were like, what are you talking about? It's a sin. You can't do that. What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, that's that's actually really interesting. Hey, as long as I can lend some money for my fine Persian carpet. Right. You know. Well, I mean, the, the I'm idea like, I'm, of I'm, I'm going to give you money for nothing without anything in return is just kind of preposterous when you think about it now. Yeah, it's absolutely. Um, you'd be you'd you'd be as smart as those people that don't know what credit is and have a credit card. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and sorry if anyone listening is uh, in that category. We don't mean to shame you, but uh, you definitely should. Uh, no, I do. I definitely do more about this. Um, I definitely. But do. Um, going back to Fibonacci, so basically what he did. Um, it was, I think he, the book that he published based on this new numeral system that he had found by studying, um, like the Chinese civilization, um, and the Arabic, you know, countries was a uh, book of calculation. That's a pretty simple name for a book, but basically what he did is he created modern business accounting. It's hey, it's the book of Abascus, bro. Is that actually what it's called? I thought it was called the book of calculation. No, it's a, a book, a book of Abacus. Okay. It's a, a you know what it's well maybe maybe that that. that translates into the the book of calculation and that that language who knows yeah no it oh, is okay. that's yeah okay so we're both <laughs> right. <laughs> All right no I'm not I was not correcting you yeah okay well yeah so he created basically modern business accounting and so this you know argue it's arguably one of his greatest contributions to the world yes and I'm a, sure if you're a, in, in a, science the Fibonacci sequences. You know, very important contribution, but I would argue that modern business accounting is just as important. Hey, for our listeners, any of you people that went to college and took a business math class, business finance class, or an accountant, this is your this is the Bible. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. This is where it all came from. Exactly. So. On the on the topic of Italy, let's uh, let's talk about the Medici family because uh, the Medici the Medici's these people were very interesting and they were very very smart. Um, so let's start with what they first created, and then we'll get into what they really created. What everyone knows now. Um, so the first thing they created is you had all in, during this time you had different countries that were exchanging goods and different currencies and goods were traveling over borders from different countries um, and so they basically created a way to make things more efficient um, they created what are called bills of exchange um, so at this time precious metals were super difficult to transport like gold and silver and bronze so basically they created why why? Because they're heavy, and being able to transport them across borders and everything's very difficult. Hey, I wish I had that problem. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, they they created these uh, paper bills, bills of exchange, basically a more universal, um, you know, to- universal token, not really a token, universal paper value um, to make things a little bit easier. So uh, think of this as right. your modern day fiat currency, your modern day dollar bills, euros, yens, etc. Correct. Right. It was a claim. It was a claim on the gold and silver. The- Exactly yep. that they that they held in in their vaults and the, and this is the Medici family. 
this these are these are the people that when you go to Italy, you see their buildings, you see their art, you see their name. Oh yeah, they were the first extremely wealthy family. Um, unfortunately, I don't think their their wealth has really made it this far into uh, civilization to where we are today. However, you know they really set the groundworks for modern day banking, modern day currency, and we'll get we're about to get into that. They basically created banks to guarantee these bills because people were like well who's going to guarantee this that these bills are have value etc cetera, etc cetera. um so they created what we know of now as now is banks and of course right people don't understand and, and, and it all started with you know it, italy it was italy was the mecca oh yeah right and it spread throughout europe Oh yeah, and, and that's and that's when the Medici started spreading the, their their banks everywhere, their footprint. Yep, on onto Europe. They really eventually took over Europe to put it to put it boldly. Um, and of course, I mean, genius as they were, they're like, okay, well, let's just create banks to do all this. We'll create our own locations, and then we'll just charge fees for all of our services. Um, and you know, of course, it the banks first started. And only did, you know, these bills of exchange for a while. That's what they were guaranteeing. And then, of course, throughout time, they expanded to doing lending and currency exchange and things like that. But, um, yeah, I find that very interesting. So the, the I think the real reason for their success was that, you know, they built a system that people could trust. Right. Back to the whole trust thing. Exactly. Yeah. It's exactly and that's right. going to be a focal point. It's, not, it's the piece of paper that had the Medici family on it. Exactly. You know, and people trust. people trusted it. They agreed with it and they went along and it worked for a very, 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 very long time. I mean, still, you could argue, still works today. I mean, it does. But yeah. So I think that that's the reason why that was a successful system at the time. And like we said, created modern day banks. Um, and then that kind of expanded. And then we'll get into the fact of where it kind of expanded, I believe, in Amsterdam, right? In the Netherlands is where this, you know, these other services from the bank really started to take off because Netherlands and Amsterdam was a hub for, you know, all European and essentially global trade. Right. And that's because of in, in the Netherlands area, they had, you know, at any, any one time they had seven different currencies being transferred to you know people yep exactly and 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 you know they started the currency exchange and that's where you know in the denmark in today's denmark right yeah that's where it started exactly um yeah and so i find it very interesting that's kind of what these bills of exchange essentially solved in the beginning is you know the transfer of these different currencies from currency to currency now you had almost one universal currency of value that everyone agreed to transact in um and then you kind of get to you know we're skipping a little bit of time but eventually you get to the point where you know in i believe this started in amsterdam in the netherlands you had cashless cashless bank transactions so you want to talk about what those are well that's like hey greg I'm going to transfer you money, right? We both have bank accounts, mm-hmm. right? Maybe we have, we're in a different country, different currencies. Okay. But you have a bank account. I have a bank account. And now that I want to buy something from you, you ship me my good and they will debit or credit my account. Exactly. They'll credit my account, debit your account. 
Yeah, and it's it's interesting because right. people think well, they will, like they'll debit, take my money debit, out of my account like and put thing. it into your account. You know. No, I couldn't hear you. I, I was saying it's it's interesting because a lot of people are under the impression or at least think that crediting and debiting like your accounts, like debit card and how you use your credit card, same thing with debiting and crediting your account. When you when you buy something on Amazon, they're debiting your account for whatever, you know, the good you bought. People think that that's kind of a new thing. It's been around for a very long time. I mean, we're talking about like 13, 1400s here. Right, right. Your debit card is what you have, you know. They're taking it out of your money. You were your credit, you know. Now you're in credit. You have you you have credit. Yeah, you're borrowing someone else's. You owe money. Exactly. Right. And so, I and, mean, this then, was and, the and, the real development of this was cashless bank transactions. And like we said, this is thirteen, fourteen hundreds. You know, right around in the Netherlands. The thirteen, fourteen hundreds might be a little later. Yeah, yeah. It it was between fourteen and I think you're right. I think it's between fourteen and fifteen hundreds. No, because sixteen hundreds was when you had the first central bank. This was a little before that. Um, But uh, I do find it very interesting that it's it's been this long. um, And you know, really, what this solved is these cash, the crediting, crediting and debiting of your accounts really allowed people to transact without actually having to exchange any coins or bills. All right. Now, now correct me if I'm wrong. Fractional reserve lending. Right around this time. Right. Correct. Right around this time. And talk about what fractional reserve banking is because it exists today. And I think that most people who don't know finance and even people who do know finance don't fully understand what fractional reserve banking is. So talk about this little scheme that uh, the Medici family and and these banks during this time came up with. Genius idea on their part, um, but still affects us today. So go into what fractional reserve banking is. All right. So, Greg, I got a hundred dollar bill. Okay. I'm going down to the bank. I'm going to put my, I'm going to deposit my hundred dollar bill into my bank account. Mm-hmm. Now, now in theory, you would think that you have a hundred dollars at that bank that you can go pull out at any, any given time, but no frac- fractional reserve banking makes it. So the banks can actually lend out that money that you are putting in your bank account, pay you a, in today, today, Pay you a small interest. Oh, yeah. It's not even anything today. Yeah. It's nothing. It used no, to be a lot a, more back when our I mean, parents were kids and everything. But yeah, it's nothing. I mean, yeah, it's, you know. Used to nothing. get 10, 10%, 8, 10% a year. Now you get freaking quarter of 1%. <laughs> it's only nothing. Yeah. With an, with an inflation rate of. Yeah. 3 to three to know, 5%. Yeah. You basically lose money putting at your, least. keeping your cash in a bank. But we can get into that different time. <laughs> yeah. So those, these banks are allowed to lend out that you know, $90 of that hundred dollars that you get, that you deposited. Yep. Right. So they, so they can continually do this with the people that are coming. It's not just me bringing a hundred dollars. It's everybody gets put some money in a bank. It's everybody. Yeah, exactly. So, and it keeps exponentially growing, you know, so this per, you know, I, I deposited a hundred, they're taking 90 of my money and they're lending it for an interest rate that's higher than they're giving to me. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, but I probably could go take out a hundred dollars out of the bank. Absolutely. But if I had a million dollars in the bank. Yep. Right. 
you probably couldn't do that. No. And back then, you definitely couldn't do it because, you know, they don't have digital systems where it's just digital debt now and it's just numbers on a screen, numbers on in your account. Back then, it was actual money. But, you know, they got to the point where they were lending because back then you're still these bills of exchange are still represent value, the amount of gold and silver in the vaults. But they got to a point where they started lending out more money than they actually had in gold and silver in their vaults. Um, And to clarify to people what you were talking about as far as that 10%. So I put $100 in. If the the reserve ratio is 10%, that means the banks only have to keep 10% of what you give them in their vaults. The rest of it, they can lend out. So hence, you know, they only have to keep 10 of your $100 in the vault and they can, you know, lend out the, the other 90. Yeah. Exactly. And so this was a way for, you know, banks to explode and make tons of freaking money because, you know, realistically, they just had gold and silver and money just get collecting dust. And they're like, why don't we go use this and put this to work? Um, but, you know, as we can talk about either now or in a, a different you know episode, you know, this has kind of blown up in everyone's faces and it's created this um, debt backed society that we live in. But however, that's that's essentially what fractional reserve banking is. It still exists today. It existed back then, um, and it's probably going to exist for a little bit longer into the future until, you know, things really start to change. Um, but, yeah, so that, that's where we were at um, during that time period. Then you get to, you know, almost 1700, and that's where the first central bank was created in England. London? Um, yeah, London, yeah. England, the first central bank of London. That was the first central bank ever. Um, and basically this allowed um, people to or allowed the central bank to issue and control currency across the world. And, you know, that system still exists today. Um, and I believe the Rothschild family was one of the founding fathers of the central banks. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. No, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. And so whoever doesn't absolutely know who the Rothschilds are, they're one of those uh, very little people don't know. A lot of people don't know who the Rothschilds are. They're one of the most powerful families throughout history um, and still today. There's a lot of conspiracies and people go deep on conspiracies with the Rothschild. But, you know, they made all their money in banking. So banking and politics, yeah. which is you <laughs> one know, in been the same. coincided. I mean, yeah, exactly. And that and that's and that was ever since, you know. Hey, yeah, I mean, that the people that, who really think that politicians and governments control the world, um, you know, hate to be an asshole, but you don't really know enough. The banks and central banks control the world. Um, I believe it was, I think it was actually one of the Rothschilds himself that said, um, allow me to control the money supply and I will control the world. Um, And that is 100% true, still true today, because whoever controls the money supply, controls the governments, controls the corporation and controls the people. um, And that's the world that we still live in today, right? And you know what's funny is that the Rothschilds still have a hand grip. Oh, and a lot of things. In, oh, yeah. In, in, in today's society, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, because we're talking, you know, 16, 1700s, I think 17, mid 1700s is when Amshire Rothschild started. Yep. He's the, he's the grandfather of them. Yep. You know, he, and they still have a play in our politics in various countries too. It's, it's, um, it's not just centralized in the, in the one nation. It's it's all across Europe, um, is where they have a play in politics and finance I'm across the whole world. Honestly, I'm, I believe that the whole world. I would agree. 
Yeah. I mean, because you, you look at how interconnected the world is, it's just as interconnected is, you know, global trade and global society. It's global finance is just as interconnected. Um, and so, you know, really all the guys that control the money supply control everything, like I said. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the history I think, you know, we can skip a little bit ahead to modern day, um, but that's really the history and the progression of money. Um, and so hopefully you can tell by now that there is a big difference between money and fiat currency. Your dollar is not money. That's fiat currency. It's currency. Money is gold and silver. And as we're going to talk about, um, there's a new form of money on the map that is, you know, very similar to the, the true original money on this planet, gold and silver. Um, and whether you like gold and silver or not, it's almost impossible to argue that gold and silver is not money. And it's almost, you know, it's almost impossible to argue that fiat currency is by true definition money. Um, and feel free to well, no, expand on that. Well, okay. So what we go, we go into the alphabet. Of paper money, oh, of currency. Okay. Yeah. I'm all the way through A and halfway through B. And you're through thousands of currencies the, at this point, by the way. You know, there's thousands of fiat currencies no, throughout history. Six, six, 600 just from A to B and a half. Okay. 600. And what happened to all Not of one them? of them. Well, they're gone. They're, they're no more. They failed. They're done. Yeah. No, no fiat currency um, survives forever. Every single one fails. It goes to zero. And so, you know, it's just evolution of money. It's also because fiat currency has very little restrictions. I mean, ever since the invention of the printing press and even before that, even as we had just talked about um, back in Italy, Gutenberg, you can they began making more bills than actual money they had. And that is where you expand and that, you know, as we had talked about credit and debt began back in the Roman age and it has just expanded ever since throughout history. And now when you get to modern day, trade is mostly carried on with borrowed money. Our financial system is just pretty much an unprecedented trust between man and man. And, you know, money's gone from, you know, being based it's, upon it's, it's, it's precious metal. Tr- actually, hold on. It's unprecedented trust between the world and the United States. Oh, yeah. I mean, we can definitely yeah get into that topic. But to keep it at the base level, it's yeah, <laughs> between man and man for sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, our, our total global financial system is basically based almost solely on credit now, which is scary. It's allowed. Don't get me wrong. It's allowed us to expand and prosper. But you get to a point when you have a system based on this, now man can come in and f- fraudulently corrupt the system. Um, and that's where you run into a lot of issues. And, you know, the kind of fraud and corruption um, has been growing and growing and growing um, for the past several hundred years. Um, and now modern day meltdowns are pretty much due to the lack of trust in the system for a short period of time. I mean, you look right when, like, when there's credit, when there's credit and there's a lack of trust, it's a meltdown. 
there has been historically a meltdown that followed. Correct. I mean, anybody who, you know, I know most of us were, you know, fairly young when 2008 happened, but if you've studied it in any certain form, um, you understand that during that time, the reason for the meltdown was a complete destruction of trust in the system of what people were doing with mortgage-backed securities, collateralized debt obligations. Um, and, and so that was the reason for the collapse. So it's not because the banks and everybody's doing these things. It's because people realized this and a lack of trust ensued. So I think, Nick, now it's time to talk about our favorite topic. Um, and you know, what emerged right after the 2009 financial crisis was an entirely new monetary system, um, a trustless system, um, that many people think they understand, but still don't understand. Um, and that is blockchain and more specifically Bitcoin. So let's go into, all right. I want, I just, and, and, and the Byzantine, emperor's problem general's problem yeah what is that and how does this solve it well it's it's all it's what we've talked about greg it's about trust yep right bitcoin allows transactions to be across a global scale right to transact value with trust you can do it digitally it's a trustless system yeah and and let's talk about why one because it's decentralized unlike you know modern day finance where the banks are the third party that delegate and control the system there is no one person one institution that controls this it's a network of computers and nodes and individuals across the entire world um, that transact in the system and as more people use the blockchain network the stronger it grows um, and so it's a distributed ledger it's public for everybody to see and it's everybody can see each transaction that goes on so it's incorruptible money Right. And, 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 and it's, and as you said, it's a, it's a distributed ledger. Everyone can see it, right? Everyone can see each transaction, right? It's peer to peer. And so we don't have to delegate trust or control to the banks instead of people think that, you know, let's use an example like square cash or Venmo. People think that that's a transaction between just you and me. I send you money. It goes directly to you. Well, it's not realistically what happens. So you have the app Square Cash that, you know, controls the actual transaction. And then you have multiple third parties. And then you have each of your banks all in the middle of that transaction. Um, and so they're all third party delegators to that transaction. Whereas with a system like Bitcoin, I send it to you directly. There's nobody else involved. Peer to peer. Completely peer to peer. Correct. Um, and so this is a very fascinating system. And let's talk about why it's such sound money. Let's first start at the fact that it's um, anti-inflation. There's only a certain supply of it. All right, all right, but we have to go back to like to the gold. Why? Why was gold used as okay. money? Right. Exactly. It's divisible. Mm-hmm. It's durable. Yep. It's fungible. Right. Yep. Um, Greg, can you can you explain to the viewers what fungible is? Yeah, basically. So when you look at gold, fungibility 
Um, it allows you to be able to break things apart into units, basically. Um, so if you look right. at so something like gold, we have nickels like we talked we have about. Um, you know, during the Roman era, you were allowed to melt gold down into individual units, individual coins, right? Um, and and so that was the ability to make something divisible and fungible. Um, and then you go to something like looking at durable. I mean, gold doesn't really spoil. Right, can last a very, very, very long time. Yeah, it's God's and it's rare. From for what we know, there's only a limited supply. Now there is still more gold in the earth to be mined, but for the most part, we know that you know there's not an unlimited amount. Can't forget those planets. Can't forget those planets that are full. Oh yeah, that's true. When we when we get to the point in human civilization (laughs) when we're mining asteroids, maybe gold becomes a little bit more relevant. Um, but yeah, so there's a, a somewhat limited supply of gold. We all know that there's a rarity aspect of it. Um, and so when you look at simple economics, you have a shrinkage of supply in either a same amount of demand or more demand. The price or value of that goes up. Um, and so that's where we kind of get into why Bitcoin's arguably even more sound money than gold. One, because you can transact and send it across the world in the matter of seconds or minutes. Um, and it's divisible a lot more than gold. And there is one we're hundred percent certain, based on you know sound code, that there is exactly 21 million bitcoins that will ever come into existence. Um, and those are slowly mined throughout the years, each four years. Um, less and less Bitcoin gets introduced introduced into the world, into the system, um, until you hit, what is it, 2140? So 120 years from now, the last, the 21 millionth Bitcoin will be mined um, and there will be no more ever. And so you will never have more than 21 million Bitcoin ever. Um, 21 million, the next having for all you people listening to this yeah and so what are we what are we may may 3rd um may 14th may, yeah may 13th or 14th is the having um and you know we can get into that basically so i i just want to make this as simple as possible for people that may not truly understand what bitcoin is um basically it is a distributed ledger that's the technology of blockchain behind bitcoin that allows things to be not controlled by one person decentralized the bank yeah it's decentralized it's peer-to-peer it's trustless because you're trusting on sound code that cannot be changed um and it's um money that i can send to you instantaneously um and then if we want to get into the the real technical part of bitcoin um it, it gets really interesting when you look at the risk to reward of owning bitcoin this entirely new system because basically what it is is this is a new system of money this is a new global financial system um and you know anybody who wants to speculate um can speculate on greg, this. greg I, I just want to clarify bitcoin might not be the next financial system but the underlying technology exactly Exactly. Um, and, and so blockchain. Your, my thesis on this um, is that you are taking more risk by not having some sort of exposure owning some of this than you are um, by not owning it at all. Correct. Um, the risk to reward ratio on Bitcoin, the 
the re- the risk you're taking versus the potential reward of owning Bitcoin and crypto far exceeds itself, meaning you the reward is far beyond the risk that you take. So investing, for example, $200 into Bitcoin, your reward is far more than your risk of $200. And that's why you see investors and in institutional corporations starting to flock to this market. And so this is basically the ability for you to look at and envision a, a completely new financial system. Um, and as we're seeing um, right now, we're, you know, with this whole COVID-19 crisis, I think that we're beginning to see the unfolding of our current system. And I think what's going to emerge out of this in the next, what, to be conservative, five to 10 years is going to be a completely yep. new financial system. And I think that blockchain, crypto, and potentially Bitcoin is going to play a huge part in this. Oh, I think it's going to be the main part. It's going to be the star yeah. player. Yeah, and, and especially, you know, <clears throat> we can get a little bit off the deep end with, you know, our opinions on this. I think what's going to happen is, you know, governments, let's talk about government's main objective is not to serve the people, it's to survive. And I don't care what your opinion on this. It's absolutely true. And if you study history, you can know um, that the government's main objective is not to protect. Well, we just went through history. We just went through history. We didn't go into that necessarily, but let's keep it at no, that. But we the government's main objective of, is to of, survive. Um, and so I, I think what's going to happen is governments realize that this technology is profound, um, but they don't like the idea that Bitcoin is decentralized and that they have no control over it, especially the central banks. So I think what's going to happen, um, and with this new stimulus bill you just saw in the rough draft, it was kind of snuck in there um, by the Democrats, the new digital dollar to help you know send payments to Americans. This is all just kind of a, a little bit of a ploy. So they're just kind of getting this idea out there. This is coming. They're they're treading the wall. Yeah, and and look, you're gonna eventually you're gonna see a new digital currency, um, whether it's the dollar, the the yen, whatever. It's eventually gonna be a global digital currency. Maybe it starts as individual countries creating their own. But let's, you know, look at something like the digital dollar, the idea of this. So basically a digital dollar, what'll happen is all cash will be removed from the system and you will move to a private blockchain where you have essentially a new dollar. It's a digital form of the dollar. Um, And so, yeah, this sounds great and all, you know, most people think we're already using digital money. Well, realistically, we're not. Our credit cards and debit cards are not digital money. Basically, it's just a form of credit with the bank. What this is going to be, it's going to be in a completely new system. Um, and, And so we'll have, you know, digital dollars. And the problem with this is we won't have cash. Everything's going to be in one system. They're going to come out and say, oh, they're going to make some excuse to say how this is so convenient. You can do all your bills. Well, you don't have to get COVID-19 if you transact. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever that BS that they come (laughs) out with that, oh, the dollar bills, you know, are going to spread the COVID-19. Well, what about all your credit and debit cards that you're handing to people and sticking up the ATM machines? It's all a joke. It's just it's ridiculous. But. Yeah, so we're going to eventually get to a system, all digital. They're going to make it so, oh, it's so convenient. You Just like China, you can have everything on one system and pay your bills. It's way more convenient when in reality it's not. And a lot of people are going to buy it. And the problem is, is that's going to be a lot more surveillance. 
And basically you have a system where you don't have an alternative means of payment. It's just that. And you are more monitored, more controlled. And essentially you can be shut out of the system at any time. I mean, you move, if you want to get real deep and dark, you can look at, you know, a totalitarian totalitarian government like China, where if you say something bad that they don't like, they can shut you out of the system. You see what that social credit system is in China. It's pretty ugly. It's not a nice place to live. If you litter, you can't buy, you have a worse credit rating. Yeah. It's, it's like that. It's like that black mirror episode, right? Where you have a, a, a yeah, social yeah. media no, credit, exactly. social media score, right. and, you know, if you have a low score, nobody wants to do things with you, you know. And so that's kind of what they have in China right now is basically, you know, it's a social credit score. And if you say something they don't like and you get penalized for that, you can't go on public transportation. You can't buy an airline ticket for a certain period of time. You can't go to concerts, this and that. It's pretty scary. And I think most people are kind of asleep at the wheel and not paying attention to how fast these things are developing. Like that kind of system is going to spread in one form or the other, whether it's exactly like absolutely. that or similar to that. Right. No, absolutely. Right. Black, black mirror is totally right on the, on their, on their, they, they on are, their they got some weird episodes in there that are kind of like, that's deep and dark, but I can definitely see that happening. <laughs> Hey, we're headed to the deep end. Oh yeah, we we really are. And and I hate being pessimistic and you know deep and dark and scary to people because they think I'm crazy. But you gotta take the blindfold off and see what's really going on. Like, um, and you know if you want, we can get in this COVID nineteen. But we're almost at an hour. We can kind of wrap this up soon. No, we're gonna wrap it up. Yeah, we, we can to, get we can we get really into can. everything going on with this COVID nineteen at a different time, but. Basically, what we wanted to do with this episode is to kind of run you through what money is, where it started, where we've been, and, and you know, kind of where we're headed. And I think we covered, you know, most most of it. What do you think? No, I think I think we have. And I, and I do think in, in a later episode, we can go in kind of the period of what we're in and where it started from. Um. I think that's for a later episode. Yeah, I agree. But uh, yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's just about it for today. You know, so we have the transition that's from good. barter hey. to uh, blockchain and Bitcoin. That's kind of where we're at. Hey, hey, hey! And this is the start. All right, oh. v- I want all of our listeners like, comment, subscribe, but more importantly, ask questions and give us answers to the questions that we didn't ask. We we. Right. We want people to be engaged. We want we want to have we want to start the dialogue to a a very important conversation. Yeah, I I agree. I I think the reason that you and I both started this is to kind of share what we're seeing and, you know, good or bad and and kind of get other people's thoughts on it and get other people's opinions on what they're seeing um, and kind of teach people along the way as to what, you know, is really going on. And, you know, a little bit more about economics and, and finance. And I, I think we'll do some other, you know, Q&A episodes and, and things like that. But I think this is a, was definitely a good start to kind of lay a groundwork and a structure for, you know, what we're going to be oh. talking about going forward. Nope, I agree. All right, cool. Well, uh, this is it. All right, well, I guess we can end it there. Hey, thanks, guys, for listening to another episode of Drunk Money. We appreciate you all tuning in. We hope you learned a little something. If you can, leave us a review at the bottom. Give us some feedback. And we'll see everybody on the next one.